Welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. We are picking up in the book of Mark and continuing on. We're doing one chapter a week. So I hope that you've been able to join us for the first two chapters that we've gone through already. If you haven't, go ahead and go back and check on those things. And uh, it'll get you caught up with an introduction to Mark and then chapter one and chapter two. Today, we are going to be looking at Mark chapter three, verses 13 through 19. And just talking about some of the different things that uh, that Mark brings up in, in these chapters. So let's dive right on in, and we'll get going in today's Bible study. Now what I want to do is I want to begin to read the entirety of the verses, and then we're going to go back and we're going to reread uh, each verse at a time and kind of talk through those. And the reason I want to do that is, at times, Mark is going to be giving us context over a whole breadth of, of, of passages. And so... Um, for us to really get to the granular and talk about the small details, we have to understand the big picture and kind of where he's going. So I'm going to read all of the verses together, and then I'm going to come back, and then we'll look at each verse at a time and talk about the things that uh, Mark kind of highlights here in this gospel. So we're going to start in verse 13, and I'm going to be reading now the ESV, and then uh, we're going to read 13 through 19, and then we'll go back and we'll look at verse 13 again and look at them verse by verse. So Mark chapter 3, verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he has also named apostles, so that they may be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority, and cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So, going back to verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So, the they that we're talking about here is the disciples. Jesus is calling the twelve. And so, that's what we're going to be talking about here today. And in this chapter or this verse particularly, what we need to focus on or what we need to think about or recognize is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He goes up a mountain. Now, immediately, if we're familiar with the Old Testament, we should be thinking about what character? The character of Moses, right? Moses goes up on a mountain to meet with God, particularly when the covenant is being passed down or given to Moses from God. So, Looking at Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6, we get a really good picture of, of Moses going up on the mountain. And, and going up on the mountain is going to have a specific or a special thing that happens. So let's look at Moses' example in, in 19, and then we'll talk about why uh, it's important that Jesus goes up on a mountain to do what he's about to do. So this is Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
So we see Moses going up on a mountain and God speaking to him on a mountain. And so we get this idea of divine revelation. And, and these, uh, the scholars that I, I, I kind of read it for the commentaries as I'm looking at this, they said that the mountain stands as a special place of God speaking to his people, particularly to God, to Moses, but now Jesus is going up. And so he's, he's going to stand in a place of authority and he's going to stand in a place of re- revelation and revealing and he's going to call his 12 disciples to him. And so Mark is painting this picture of Jesus as one who's about to give divine revelation. And, and, and we see this again. Jesus oftentimes goes up onto a mountain to teach. So this is, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew, in, in giving us the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, he is giving us this, this conception that this is God speaking to his people. On to verse 14. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus appoints twelve out of the crowd of followers to come to him on the mountain. This is both a setting apart to come and be with Jesus, and it's also to be sent by Jesus. And so Mark is really focusing on the idea of discipleship here. And, and, and if you remember right from, from week one, chapter one, we talked about how this is one of the key themes of the gospel of Mark, and, and he focuses a ton on discipleship. And so he is describing here the role of disciple. He's saying a disciple is one who draws near to Jesus, but it's also one that is sent out to, by Jesus. It's one who spends time in God's presence, but he's also one or she is also one that goes out and, and spreads the message about Jesus and does the work on behalf of Jesus. And so this is the tension that, that Mark places before the disciples when he's kind of defining what discipleship looks like. It's, it's someone who draws near to Jesus, but also someone who is sent out to do. And, and, and let's, if, we're, if we're honest, we, we can't really do one without the other. Can we go out and be effective in ministry if we've not first spent time with the Lord, spent time hearing what he wants to say, spent time hearing him encourage us, spent time really just kind of focusing in on who he is and what he wants from us. But then also, if we just stayed at home all the time and we just kind of focused on our time with God, would we really be effective in, in fulfilling the calling of a disciple? And the calling of a disciple is one who makes other disciples. We see that in Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 28, I believe. That's 28 verse 18. It says the disciples, um, the other thing that's of note here is the disciples are going to operate in the authority that Jesus gives them. They're not operating in their own authority, which was another reason why they, it's good for them to realize that uh, they, they first have to draw near because God is going to be the one who empowers them. God is going to be the one who uh, gives them the authority to, to fulfill the mission that they are called to live out. They, and they are to be representatives. They are to be image bearers. They are to be signposts of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And they are to be that, that, uh, they are to be that representation to the world wherever they go, that, that they were with Jesus and that Jesus um, is their Lord and their, their, their rabbi. This includes the authority to teach and to do miraculous signs. So, such as cast out demons is what we've seen him already do. And, and he actually specifically says that here 
in verse 15 that the, that the disciples would have the authority to cast out demons. And, and here's what I want to wrestle with, and, and this is what I want us to think through, and, and the question that I asked myself as I was reading this passage is, do we still have this authority? And, and my thought is, yes, absolutely. And, and, and we have no problem with the idea that we teach in the name and authority of Jesus. Um, but do we have the authority to cast out demons? I would say for most of us, we, we think that that's kind of weird stuff, right? That stuff of, of biblical times, that's not stuff that happens anymore. And, and, and what I would say is I don't think it's healthy to deny that those things still exist and still are necessary. But I also don't think that it's healthy to find demons in, in every corner, uh, in every trouble, in every trial, in every struggle. The, the reality is there are spiritual forces, and there are sicknesses, and there are diseases, and, and God has given us the ability through the power and through the empowering of His Holy Spirit to, to do everything that He's called us to do. And so while I've never personally cast out demons, I've never seen that happening, I've never seen uh, someone physically healed, though I know people who have been physically healed, I, I do believe that Jesus gives us the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into those things. It's why we pray and we ask God to move in the power and authority of, of, of Jesus Christ. And so um, I don't see demons everywhere. I don't think that every single thing that goes wrong in our life is a, is a spiritual consequence or a spiritual uh, being causing that, though I think that um, though I think that there, there are spiritual forces that, that come against us. And Jesus, as his disciples, he's given us the authority and the power and the empowering, particularly through the Holy Spirit, to face whatever comes our way on the discipleship journey. So there are going to be times when we need, uh, we need to pray against spiritual attack. We need to pray against... Um, spiritual forces coming against our minds and our hearts, and, and we're going to need to, not necessarily in possession in the way that this happens, but we pray in, in, in hopes that God will rescue us from the attacks that we're facing. Uh, I woke up the other day and just regretting um, all of the decisions that I made when I was in high school, all the mistakes I made. I just woke up, and all of those things were playing through my mind like it was yesterday. And what was that? that? That was a spiritual attack. And God has given me the authority to pray against that and to pray on, in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against spiritual, uh, the spiritual forces that were coming to wreak havoc on my mind. And, and God has forgiven all those things. All of those, all of those things are in the past, and he doesn't hold those against me anymore. But Satan can still... And, and demons can still kind of wreak havoc on us when we allow those things to kind of affect our minds. And so God equips us and empowers us through the Holy Spirit to overcome and to face and to, to walk through whatever it is that's, that, that discipleship and following Jesus is going to bring us to, whether that be facing demons or whether it be holding a screaming, vomiting child in a nursery. Every difficult thing that we face, God equips us for. And this is this is what ministry is fueled by. It's fueled by God's authority. It's fueled by God's empowerment. And we really, we, we trust and rely and depend not on our own strength, not on our own abilities, on the empowerment of, of Christ and on the Holy Spirit filling our lives. So this is how we 
exist in discipleship and ministry. It's how we operate in the church. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we could not handle and do the things that God has called us to do. All right, let's move on to verse 16. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which that is a really cool name, that, that is the sons of thunder. Um, it, there's a lot of speculation about why they were called the sons of thunder. Um, I don't know if you've seen the chosen, but the chosen really portrays them as very fiery figures. And they, they, they at times are there stories in the Bible that where they are, uh, they're, they're asking for power. They're asking to be seated at the right hand of God. They're asking for judgment to be called down, um, on these, uh, these wicked nations and on, on, on their enemies. And so, uh, they're kind of fiery guys, according to, uh, certain stories in scripture. There's Andrew, and there's Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Mark provides here a list of the twelve. And the number is important, because the, the number is important to the nation of Israel. And, and you have to remember that the gospel writers, Mark, Mark especially, is tying and actually, I shouldn't say Mark especially, because all of them do it. They are constantly tying Jesus to the faith that they've always known. They are constantly tying Jesus back to the faith of Israel. And so what do we see? Uh, where, where does 12, the number, show up in importance in, in Israel's history? It shows up as the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. The, and, and this is how God kind of broke them, them down in, into different tribes and and this was the number that was a, a predominant number throughout the entire Old Testament. And when Jesus calls his closest companions, his closest followers, the ones who would walk uh, with him the most and who would represent him as apostles later on, what, and when he calls those people and he creates that group, he creates the group in the number 12. Were there other disciples? Absolutely. Would there be other apostles who would come and, and we see that? I mean, even the story of, of Paul. Paul would be an apostle after, after this time. And so he's not in the original 12. So yes, there would be more apostles. But this original group of disciples is initially set up as the 12 apostles because um, they, they, Mark and the gospel writers and Jesus himself is tying himself to the Old Testament. Revelation does the very similar thing. Revelation focuses on the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. They, they set as pillars, they set as, as judges um, in the book of Revelation. And so this number 12 is, is important to the nation of Israel and to the, to the Jewish people. And Jesus, what he's doing here and what Mark is trying to convey, because remember, Mark is talking about always talking about discipleship and Mark is always talking about Christology. Christology is really just this idea of who Jesus is and, and who the gospel writers are portraying him to be. And, and he here is, is, again, giving Jesus the authority and putting him on par with Yahweh. Yahweh called the 12 tribes and, and made them his people. Jesus calls the 12 apostles and makes them his people, his disciples. And so, so we see here this, this close tie, and Mark wants us to walk away understanding that Jesus is God. Jesus is tied to God. And he is, he, when you hear Yahweh, you can think of Jesus. 
And so Mark is giving Jesus this authority to be on par with God. Uh, The other thing that I want to note here, and the other thing that I want to look at, is really the diversity of this group. And it's something that might miss us right away. We have uh, Peter and and James and and John. We see him give them nicknames. We have the Rock, and we have Sons of Thunder. And then what we see is we have Greek names besides Semitic names. Uh, Semitic is would be like Hebrew names. The, the, the Hebrew language is a Semitic language. And so what you have is, is Greek and Gentile names besides Semitic names. And then even one of, uh, even one of the disciples there, and, and it's the last verse, uh, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We even see Mark foreshadow one who would betray them. And so we have this very diverse group of people. We have, we have the zealot and we have the the one who, um, who would be unfaithful. The zealots were, were, were men and women who were extremely faithful to, the, to both the temple and to the Jewish faith. And then you have Judas Iscariot, who is identified as someone who is about to betray him or who, who, or who will betray Jesus. And so and, and, and Mark is doing something else interesting here and even saying that and alluding to Judas Iscariot betraying him. And this is, this is, again, going back to Mark's focus on discipleship. See, Mark always keeps the cross in front of Jesus and in front of the disciples. The destiny that Jesus is walking to is the cross. It's, it's, it's the pathway that he's walking. It's, it is the weight and the cost of following Jesus. It's, Jesus describes it that way. My disciple is the one who takes up his cross and follows me. And that's my loose paraphrasing, but it's this idea that the weight and the cost of following Jesus is always uh, before them. And, and so Mark here, by just saying this real simple phrase of Jesus, Judas who betrayed him, is keeping in front of Jesus and keeping in front of the, the disciples and keeping in front of us the cost of discipleship, that Jesus' way was the way of the cross. And this is the, the, the cost and the way of all those who would follow after him. So that wraps up our verses for today. I will be back tomorrow, and we're going to finish up chapter 3. So I pray that you tune in, and I hope that you're enjoying this study on Mark. Uh, As I've been reading and studying, I'm reminded once again, Mark is my favorite gospel. He is such a unique perspective on the life of Jesus and on the the disciples and on the the process that they walked through uh, in their their learning to to follow after Jesus. And, And I pray and I hope that you find the disciples learning and growing and what Mark has to say about who Jesus is, both inspiring, I pray that you find it informative, and I pray that it really does inspire your walk with Christ as well. Be sure to join me again tomorrow as we finish off this chapter, and and I love doing this with you guys.